This is the Beer We Go podcast. I'm your host, John Williams. In this podcast, we're going to discuss the industry that was eliminated and recreated by two constitutional amendments, exploring how Louisiana regulations on the beverage alcohol industry benefit consumers from public safety to consumer choice. Today, we're going to explore the world of a former regulator and how she's still working to impact the regulations and the industry. We'll be visiting with former ATC attorney Jessica Starnes. But first, I'd like to share with you a clip from Pam Erickson's study, The Danger of Alcohol Deregulation. It talks about the United Kingdom experience versus the American alcohol regulation. Take a look at other alcohol-related problems in the UK. Alcohol is sold below cost as a loss leader to lure customers into stores. Alcohol is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and police say that increases crime and exhausts their resources. The rates of liver cirrhosis and alcohol poisoning are high. Childhood drinking in the UK is more than twice the rate than in the US. A third of British 15 and 16 year olds admit they have been drunk in the past month. Alarmed by these problems, Ericsson went straight to Parliament to learn more about the high price of alcohol deregulation on society. I just met with members of Parliament to learn about the alcohol epidemic here in the United Kingdom. They gave me a lot of good information and we've learned a lot of things that uh, we want to avoid in our country so we don't have the same kind of problems. Let's examine how alcohol is sold in both countries. In the UK, alcohol is not effectively regulated at the national or local levels. Contrast that to the US, where alcohol is effectively regulated by the states. There is little separation between alcohol manufacturers and retailers in the UK. The American system of alcohol controls provides a clear separation between alcohol manufacturers and retailers, providing transparency and accountability. In the UK, large international retailers have seen an increase in their ability to drive volume sales at any cost to society. Whereas the American system works to protect consumers. That was a clip from Pam Erickson's Dangers of Alcohol Deregulation, and it was comparing the United Kingdom experience versus the American alcohol regulations. Coming up next, former ATC regulator Jessica Starnes, Vertical Integration, the Dangers of Deregulation, what it means to you, coming right up on Beer We Go. All right, we're back here on the podcast, Beer We Go. I'm your host, John Williams. Uh, we're here with our guest, Miss Jessica Starnes. Jessica, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. So, Jessica, um, you know, we want to just kind of look back, and, and you, you're you a former regulator here in the state of Louisiana, and, and now you have your own private practice. Uh, you, you're a lawyer, and, and you're doing a lot of work within the industry, but recently... Uh, most importantly, you uh, received a grant from probably one of the most recognized uh, industry uh, policy groups out there, which is the, the Center for Alcohol Policy. Can you tell us a little bit about the grant that you received and, uh, and, and, and what, you, what you did with the Center for Alcohol Policy? 
Yes, um, so last November I was contacted by the Center of Alcohol Policy and provided this incredible opportunity to um, do a piece of policy work or an analytical study on some current trends in the alcoholic beverage industry. Um, and so that paper called The Dangers of Common Ownership in an Uncommon Industry um, was published in January of this year. And the paper really looks at changes to the alcoholic beverage industry over the years since the implement implementation of the current alcoholic beverage system. And um, changes due to technological changes, business structure changes, um, the growth of crowdfunding and um, consolidation of different business interests. So the paper was really to look at, are the, are the regulations that were set out in the 1930s still relevant? Do we still need them or should we change the system? And I think that the overwhelming conclusion is that they are very much still relevant, if not even more relevant. And although we need to conform and adopt, adapt to change with some new emerging trends over time, the essential components of the system should not be altered. It's, it's, um, it's interesting because if you, if you look back, and, and things do evolve, I mean, we all, we all recognize that, whether it be uh, industrial revolutions or, or technologies or the dot-com era, you, you always see things, these pressures that would require sometimes changes in the workplace or changes in the marketplace. So, so things always evolve. And if you look back, and you look back at, at, at coming out, out of prohibition when the 21st Amendment was actually adopted and passed, uh, and they repealed prohibition and gave the states the rights to regulate alcohol, one of the big recommendations came from uh, a study that was commissioned by um, John Rockefeller. Uh, and and Fosdick and Scott uh, were the two gentlemen that produced that study, and their focus was finding out how to provide for an orderly marketplace. And I think um, one of the, one of the things, and, and tell me if you agree with me or, or or you can elaborate on this, was to provide independence and to provide separation and prevent these tied relationships. Which in our first podcast, we spent some time going over the whole tied house laws and say, you know, that suppliers shouldn't be uh, having this influence over retailers and there should be some division. But there was never really an established overnight regulatory industry. It just evolved, right? I mean, yeah, um, that's correct. And I think that what's really interesting about that that goes to basically the crux and the underlying concept throughout my paper is that you know, we're in 2017 now. Obviously, things have evolved tremendously since 1933, and the world today is completely different than it was then. But the, the essential thing that Fosdick and Scott, who, by the way, were um, an engineer, I believe, and an attorney, Right. So, you know, not even of this field, they were analyzing it from an outside perspective. And the, the key thing that they saw was that there is an undeniable desire for businesses to increase profits. And there is an undeniable desire for social control and um, welfare. And those two things are inherently in conflict with each other. And so they determined that the only way to have an effective and safe and robust alcohol industry in this country would be to set up a system that did everything possible to diminish that desire for the profit motive. 
or to you know attempt to control it and keep it from overriding the um, the social welfare concerns. Create cre- create a, a an environment that provided for safety first in the marketplace. Right. You know the the concept was always for moderation. It was never to to be teetotalers or, or ban um, the commodity. It was to enable a structure that no matter the changes that came over time would still be able to thrive and prevent you know really significant social ills so so i I gotta ask you you know as a former regulator i mean isn't everything that's brought to you trying to have a motive of profits i mean how often was it that you received people trying to to work outside the scope of the regulations just as a a profit motive it's daily and this (laughs) is why the regulatory agencies are so important and why effective effective enforcement from those regulatory agencies is important because laws are policies on paper or right. nothing if they're not enforced. enforced and and most of the time those people coming you know they don't have bad they're not ill will people they right. don't, they're not trying to you know infiltrate um massive alcohol health issues in right. the system they're just they're in they a business is created to make money right. and that is what they're looking at and so a lot of times they don't even understand the rules um and that's an important thing for regulators to be able to sit down and talk with these people and say, look, I understand what you want to do, but you have to understand that you're operating in a completely different system. This is not bread. This is not water. Um, so so the things are a little bit different here. And I think that a lot of times people, it really opens their eyes and they kind of get it. Um, is there a tendency to always push the limits in the line? Yes, there is. When you, as a regulator, um, I noticed that when you would give someone an inch, they would want to push it another sure. mile. And there's always, you know, the outliers who, who don't want to voluntarily comply with the laws. But for the most part, I think that most business operators really do. And so I think that them having an understanding of why the rules are what they are really um, sheds light on them and helps to you know, get them on board for the voluntary compliance. And I got to tell you, ATC, and and I've been in in this industry under now three commissioners, and I think all of them uh, have have done everything they possibly can to get out and make themselves available um, to to try to explain and educate uh, industry members about the rules and regulations, because it's not something you just wake up one day and understand. We are, it is a unique industry. It's not potato chips, it's not soft drinks. Um, and and there's there's a huge education part, and I always commend all of those that have um, worked for the agency, uh, the ATC, to, to, because they do make their trips around the state. I remember when you were, were um, the legal counsel for the ATC, y'all were traveling the state, meeting with retailers all the time. I know our current uh, commissioner, she's she's already made three trips around the state, uh, meeting with retailers in different markets, and that's that's a huge part of it. Yeah, I agree. I actually had the um, the fortune of working under three commissioners at ATC, and they are all very different, and they all had very different styles. But one common thing is that they all very much cared about the industry and their job, and I think that they all took it very serious to learn the history, learn what their role was, and to spread that word. Um, I, did, I, I didn't work with Commissioner Lombard for very long, but in the time that I did work with her, it was very clear that she was 
had an agenda to to learn um, as much as she could about the alcoholic beverage industry really quickly. And she was from right away, right when she came in, was taking efforts to get out and talk to the different business owners and not and hear their concerns and their perspectives because the perspective uh, between retailers, wholesalers, and, and manufacturers, and then from large manufacturers to, to craft manufacturers, it's very different perspectives. And I think that she's been very proactive about getting out and, and hearing from those different groups. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so, so let me get back to, to your your study um, and, and the grant that you received. You know, specifically when you talk about the dangers of common ownership in an uncommon common industry, what we have is essentially a three tier system of of the industry. You have the supplier, you have the distributor, and then you have the retailer. And what what your study and, and what you get into is that the common ownership, meaning there's a there's a prohibition against ownership uh, of, of more than one tier, and that it's pretty difficult to regulate that uh, you do as much as you can, but there's a lot of pressures, especially in the corporate America. And I guess that's what I'm going to get into is that uh, when you get into these massive corporations and, and their ownership, because it, it, it expands so broad, that's one of the challenges that we're faced with today. And that's one of the things that you hit on. Can, can you elaborate a little bit about corporate consolidation? Because that's what it boils down to. Yeah, right? you know, well, with the expediency um, that technology has brought to business practices and the availability to um, obtain investments from large groups of people on a wide um, geographical area in a short amount of time, crowdfunding, all of these sure. tools that are available now. Venture um, Right, and then the consolidation of publicly traded corporations and their boards of directors. It's, it, it's really easy to lose focus of the, the public health side of things. Right. And and because we're so far removed, 80 something years removed from prohibition now, mm -hmm. that's not in the you know relative collective memory of most Americans today. And because the system has worked so well and they haven't experienced the, the tremendous health problems that have gone on over pla other places, um, that seems to get minimized or pushed aside as not being that important. But the truth is, although this, this industry brings about 455 billion a year to the US, it costs the US about 249 billion a year. So it's really important to keep those things balanced. And and with the, the segregation of the tiers of the industry, that is to keep one tier from having influence over the other to be able to buy them out or control them or force them to increase sales numbers you know looking at the same issues we people. saw right it's, it's to keep that in, right. and although they weren't part of like the original study that came out of after prohibition most states have adopted what we call trade practice regulations or market regulations and those things are basically the fulcrum of the tier right. three tier system without the trade practice regulations the three tier system doesn't work and the trade practice regulations are really co complex and, and confusing to most people um, and most of them seem bizarre and anti-business right. but but really they have good purposes and they are to keep that control and so with the common ownership uh, you know even when people have an investment in a business they don't they're not thinking 
oh, this common ownership is going to affect the alcoholic beverage industry. But the truth is, is that it can because when, you know, the majority of a board of one company is the same as the majority of a board of another company and say one of those is a manufacturer and one is a wholesaler, there's a really strong chance that that they're going to be influencing the decisions sure. of the other businesses and that ultimately will lead to the problems and you study the Department of Justice um, has some investigations going on right now that show that what was traditionally thought of as passive shareholders and corporations are no longer extremely passive active. <laughs> they're actually active right. very active and it's hard to prove and it's hard to uncover and put um, empirical data on paper to show that it's happening but in, even some shareholders in these corporations are admitting that it's happening and that they are actively influencing decisions of the boards of directors. I think at the, at the end of the day, too, I mean, just to sum it up, and the intent and goal is obviously to prevent any vertical integration within the industry and to create that separation and independence. And and when you have these types of investment companies and that, that own certain things, they get extremely active and it becomes very difficult to manage. But I think there's going to be a huge effort, not just in the state of Louisiana or, or in surrounding states, but across the country. And I think that you see it, we're seeing TTB get a lot more active in it too, which is actually a great thing because they haven't been the most active agency in, in the past years. You're absolutely right. I mean, the corporate form has been around for over 400 years. And since the beginning of that time, the motive has always been profit maximization and the tendency has always been towards vertical integration. So if there are not strongly enforced regulations to prevent that vertical integration from happening, it will happen. It's just a, it's just a natural inclination of the business form. Um, as far as TTB, they have become very um, active and they've, they've had some really large cases in uh, Massachusetts, Florida, and several other states, California, Historical. in recent years. And um, they have been, what's really nice thing that I like that they've been doing at TTB is they've been partnering with the states and going in with the state regulatory agencies, you know, in this time of like stiff budget cuts statewide and nationally, I think that that's an invaluable resource and I, and I think that it's a really positive thing that they're doing. However, with their increase of enforcement has brought about more litigation from the businesses who, um, you know, their natural tendency is to fight that because they see it as a block to their profit a competitive maximum. advantage right? right i mean and that's usually what it boils down to is the competitive advantage so you know what it what they're providing ultimately i think is a level playing field for the smaller guys right i mean because it's not it's not always it's not always the the largest industry members but a lot of times it's the large industry members that that, that, that are um and a lot of alcohol you know new alcoholic beverage industry members or or some that are less knowledgeable or some that just have completely um you know, complete disregard for the for the system. They'll argue that this is just um, propaganda or talking points that that we need this system. Um, but the fact is, all you have to do is look at the alcoholic beverage industry and compare that to other industries. Like where you're going to Taco Bell, you're only going to get a Pepsi. Like too right. bad if you don't like Pepsi because you're not getting anything <laughs> right. else. But if you go to the grocery stores, actually like overwhelming to look at the the amount of beers and new craft beers right. and products there are to choose from. I mean, sometimes I, I don't even know where to start on those aisles because there are so many options. And, and that is because of this system. And you don't see that with any other um, 
brand or commodity or product in this country. No, it's, and and we always refer to that as the unintended benefits of the the regulations that exist today. So it's, uh, you know, and another thing like where, where other, um, industries are becoming more and more consolidated. The alcohol industry just continues to grow every year. There's, um, a new, a new intake in, in federal licenses for manufacturers and state permits. So, um, these these rules they may be difficult to understand and they may not be what some businesses like to hear but they actually allow business and when businesses realize that they can see oh well i i should be for these rules because this is the only reason i'm still in business and you know i look back Or, or even able to get to start into business i mean imagine if you wanted to start a soft drink company tomorrow it's be very difficult to do. I, I would think so. You that. And look, look, the other thing is the public safety sector, which is where this is all initiated. And you look at what's going on right now in Mexico. I don't know if you've seen the, the latest um, where all the resorts are and, and the all-inclusives. I think they took 10,000 gallons of uh, uh, tainted alcohol, counterfeit alcohol, a couple months back. And they're expecting that they're, that 36% of the alcohol in Mexico is potentially counterfeit. Um, people people are getting hurt from that. And it's and, and, and I don't think, and I think that's the, the regulations that exist today are the reasons why you don't see that here in the United States. Right. I mean, it's very, it's very alarming what's going on. Not to mention the fact that there, your, your choices as a consumer are much less in the UK or in Mexico, um, where there isn't this separation of the tiers and there is a lot of integration and consolidation and basically a few big players control the market. But these health concerns are a really big issue. Um, you know, m- m- most every state in the federal government in the U.S. has laws in place to prohibit yep. the sale of alcohol between individuals or non-licensed entities right. um, and you know direct shipment of alcohol and those things are important to, to to ensure that you're not getting counterfeit product that every alcohol in the, in the United States is traceable from the place it's made to the end consumer it goes to you can trace those products and so you're not going to have um, problems with counterfeit products and also if there is an issue with a product from the manufacturer in the u.s because of the way the system is set up and because of how we have the wholesaler tier that's in in between the retailers and the manufacturers and really local in the areas they can get that product up so fast and and out of the marketplace to to prevent um true any any harm to consumers you're absolutely right, Jessica. Uh, thank you so much for, for taking the time to come visit with us. Congratulations on your grant. Um, I hear great things. I've read the read the study, and uh, it's, it's, it's spot on, and it's something that obviously I think our country needs to be looking at, and I hope, I'm sure that the TTB and a lot of their representatives will be looking at it, and they'll remain just as active, and a, and a lot of it has to do with the, the information that you're providing everybody. Appreciate you being here with us. Uh, to talk about the dangers of beverage alcohol industry. Yeah, thank you for having me. And also, I just want to say that the paper is available on the Center for Alcohol website for anyone that's interested. And the Center of Alcohol Policy is um, consistently doing new research and reports, and they have a lot of really valuable um, educational tools available on their website. So I would encourage anyone with more interest in that to definitely go check out their website. 
And what about your website? My website, <laughs> www.jessicastarns.com. Yeah, definitely check Jessica out if you ever need any services for uh, permitting and in, in, in the beverage alcohol industry or, or uh, need, some, look, need an attorney to talk to about uh, your business and your business plan. Uh, I'm sure she'd be available to do that and consult you in any way. Jessica, thanks for being with us. Thank you. All right, thank you. I want to thank Jessica Starnes for taking the time to come visit with us, former attorney from the Alcohol and Tobacco Control here in Louisiana. We've got some exciting things coming up in our next podcast. Please join us with the Beer We Go podcast. Subscribe. Catch all the new things that are going on within the industry around the state of Louisiana. Until then, remember, moderation and celebration go hand in hand.